I know that I was created for more than this, and I'm going to find out what it is. And I had never reached that point. That was a turning point for me. And I went on to find out what my purpose was. Welcome to Career Relaunch, the podcast focused on helping you create a more fulfilling career. My name is Joseph Liu, and I'm here to help you gain the clarity, confidence, and courage to overcome the challenges of making changes to your career so you can do more meaningful work and enjoy your professional life. In each episode, I feature people who have stepped off the beaten path to reinvent their careers and successfully make a major career change. We talk through their unique personal stories, the challenges they overcame, and the lessons they learned along the way to help you take your own brave steps to improve your career and life. Today, my guest is going to explain how she relaunched her career from being a secretary to an energy therapist and Reiki practitioner. We'll discuss what she learned after being homeless for three years and the importance of healing yourself before you can move forward. Afterwards, during today's Mental Fuel, I'll explain the importance of setting standards for yourself. Today, I'm speaking with Helen Wicks, a certified life and spiritual coach, Reiki master, and energy therapist. She's the founder of Holistic Livelihood and describes herself as a modern-day Harriet Tubman because she leads people to freedom from jobs they hate and empowers them to find work that makes their souls sing. For 25 years, she worked in corporate America as a secretary for various industries and served as a legal secretary the last eight years. And during my chat with Helen, she's going to give a glimpse into how she survived being homeless for three years during her career transition and explain how she managed to eventually move on. If you want to learn more about Helen, you can go to careerrelaunch.net slash 34. Helen spoke with me from Washington, D.C. Well, Helen, thank you so much for joining me here on Career Relaunch. I am very excited to hear all about your story today. Well, it's nice being here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, I got a lot I want to talk to you about today, Helen. I know you've got a very interesting story, and I want to talk a little bit about your time as a secretary, which is, I know, how you spent the majority of your career. I'd also like to hear a little bit more about the three years you spent in transition homeless, and then also the work you're doing right now as a holistic energy healer, and how you bounced back from that time to now focus on helping people find work that makes their souls sing, as you put it. I'd love to start off by just having you tell us a little bit more about what you're focused on right now as an energy healer in your career. Well, thank you very much again for having me here. Because I spent so much time trying to find work that makes my soul sing, it seemed natural for me to help other people to do that. And as you know, I was a secretary for about 25 years. I never liked it always wanted to write. So I'm more of a creative person. So I understand that when people are stuck in jobs that they hate, you just feel like you're trapped, feel like a prisoner, slave, whatever you want to call it. The work that I do, I do more of the inner work. We each have our own path and, you know, it has to unfold. It does not come all at once and we can't rush it. I know people feel like uh, the work that they're doing, they feel like maybe they're not making a difference. And that's something I feel like is in everybody. They want to feel like their work means something and is, is making a difference on the planet. Our desire is to be of service. And I see, seem like the happiest people on the planet are the ones who learn that. They're not here just for themselves, but they're here to be of service to other people. 
Let's go back to talk about your earlier years before you were a healer, when you were a secretary, and then we can move forward from there. Can you just briefly walk me through how you got started in your 25-year career as a secretary and tell us a little bit about what you did as a secretary? Well, it actually started before I became a secretary. It was in school. My dad forced me to take typing classes, and I was forced to take typing classes even after I learned how to type, uh-huh. he had this problem with creativity, and I really was not encouraged to do anything creative. So anyway, I learned how to type, and I guess it just naturally led to me becoming a secretary. Like I said, I never liked it. I never wanted to do that. But, you know, I was able to support myself. So I believe the first job I had, it wasn't as a secretary, but I remember working for the Tennessee Valley Authority, the CVA. That was my first time being in an office. Most of the jobs I seemed to get were dead end. There just was really no way to advance. It seemed like uh, secretaries really were not viewed as being important. And sometimes you were not treated with the great kindness and respect. Why do you think that is that people don't treat you with the same level of respect as other colleagues? In our society, you know, there's kind of like a taking order. Some jobs are looked at as more important than others. And I guess I kind of understand that it's like the more value you give, the more money you get. And being a secretary is kind of on that the lower end. See, I don't agree with that, but that's how some people look at it. To me, like a receptionist, that's like the first impression people get of the company. And the reception is, to me, is very important. That's how I view it. And I can't say that in every job I was not treated with kindness and respect, because I was. But some jobs I weren't. I wasn't. And yeah, that really bothered me. And also, I did not make a lot of money in a lot of the jobs that I had. And I wasn't able to live the kind of life I wanted. I always wanted to travel. I love traveling. And it was always a struggle, financially, it seemed. What do you think are one or two of the most common ways that secretaries or receptionists are misunderstood by other people in the workplace? Well, what comes to mind immediately to me is that we are more than that. We have capabilities more than just being a secretary. I actually had one attorney that I worked for who tried to encourage me to go to law school, uh, but that was not something I wanted to do. And I'm not trying to be unkind when I say this. I think being a secretary is noble. And there are some people who want to do it. But most of the people I've ever talked to who were secretaries, that was not something that they were aspiring to. They ever said, I want to be a secretary when I grew up. And I think that's one of the things that bothered me, that I had more capabilities than maybe the people I was working for realized. And you're kind of treated that way, like you don't have any greater ambition or something like that. And that that used to really bother me. What do you think was the most challenging part of the job? Well, probably getting along with people. You know, you had different personalities. If you did not have interpersonal skills and inner wisdom, I think it's called like emotional instead of IQ, EQ, you know, having some kind of way of 
reading people and knowing how to approach them, I think you kind of have a more difficult time working with the different personalities there. Now, when we spoke before, Helen, you had described to me this turning point when you were secretary. And I thought it was an interesting story about the copy machine moment that ultimately convinced you you wanted to move on. Can you just share exactly what that moment was and recreate that for me? I was working at a very well-known Silicon Valley company. And one day I was handed this stack of papers and they were not just normal. I just could not put them in the copier and hit start and let them let it go. They were eight and a half by 11. Some of the papers were eight and a half by 14. And then some papers were front and back. (laughs) So I don't know what it was that particular day. Usually that doesn't bother me, but that particular day, something in me snapped. And as I'm standing there, the papers meant nothing to me. Even though I was working for attorneys, most of the work was done by outside firms. So that particular day, I did not have any clue as to what this case was about. I'd never met the client. And I was standing there at the copier, and I said, you know, I know that I was created for more than this. And I'm going to find out what it is that I'm here to do. And I had never reached that point before. I had never made that kind of declaration before. That was a turning point for me, that day at that copier. And I went on to find out what my purpose was. What did you have in your head in terms of what you're going to do next? Like, how did you envision your next steps shaping up? And the reason why I ask that, Helen, is I know that when we spoke before, you, you kind of thought that, okay, this transition out of secretarial work to something else might take a year, but it ended up taking longer. What did things look like the moment you decided to move on? There were several things that came into my life. I became a student at the University of Metaphysics. At that time, I did not have a college degree. And this program presented itself, and I could get a doctoral degree. And I decided to enroll in that. And one of the first things that we had to do was learn how to to meditate. And I had been discouraged to do that. And I actually was a little nervous about doing it, but I was not living the kind of life I wanted. So I decided that I would, you know, overcome that fear and do it anyway. So I began meditating and I started intuitively feeling like I should quit, but I didn't have any money saved. I didn't have a boyfriend or a husband and my family was 3,000 miles away. So to me, that seemed irresponsible for me to just up and quit. I refused to do that. And so then two women at work who had never bothered me before started harassing me. One would get stuff off my desk, she would take papers off my desk, and then I, I was looking all over for them and couldn't find them, and then she would put them back. And so it was like just playing games with me, and I went to management about them, and one of them got worse instead of better. So I decided that I'd listen to the universe. This was the universe trying to tell me, you should quit. And so I did. I packed my stuff up one day, and I walked out. I ended up going back to school 
before that, though, I applied for unemployment and was turned down, but I appealed. And when I went to the judge and I explained to him I was being harassed, he ruled in my favor. So to me, that was the universe. Everything fell into place. And I was able to go back to school for two years, and I studied film and screenwriting. And those were two of the happiest years of my life. It showed me that life can be enjoyable. It's not doesn't have to be drudgery and dreading Monday morning, which is how I used to feel. But yeah, that was the beginning for me. After I got my associate's degree, a couple of months later, my mom passed away suddenly. And I moved back to Tennessee, which is where I'm from, and uh, was there for about three years. And then I sold the house my mom left me, and I moved to the D.C., Washington, D.C. area. Sometimes when I hear from listeners, they ask, well, okay, this idea of leaving your past job behind and moving on to something else, it sounds great, but what happens if it doesn't exactly work out the way you hope, especially if you don't have that sort of financial buffer? Like You always hear about these overnight success stories, but what happens with people when it doesn't quite go according to plan? Can you explain how things then transpired for you from this point onward? I actually ended up auctioning the house that my mother left me because I nobody would make an offer on it. So I got much less than I could have gotten for it. But I moved anyway. I wanted to start a new life. And D.C. was where I felt I was being led. So I ended up going there. And uh, I stayed in a uh, extended stay hotel for about a month. And then I found a permanent place. And I paid the rent for a year. And I thought that that would give me enough time to get my business started. I was, at the time, going to two schools. One was by correspondence, and then the other was online, and I was trying to start the business. So the money just never started coming in like I thought it would. I ended up being evicted because the money just never came in, and my landlords, I have to give it to them. They hated doing that to me. They knew I was there to try to do something good, but this was about business. And so there I am. I actually had gone to the library and then to the doctor that day, and I came home, and all my stuff was out on the lawn. You know, most of it had gone. People had taken it. But I tell you, that that moment was surreal. But you know what? That moment also taught me that our lives are not about things. I can look back on that now and let it go. Sometimes things don't turn out like we planned, but... I think that you have to look for the lesson in everything, good or bad, uh, but especially the bad. And that's what I did. I got to the other side of it, and I can look back on it now and realize it may have been one of the best things that ever happened to me. So now before we get to how you got to the other side, I'd love to switch gears and just focus in on your time when you were homeless, Helen, because I think it's one of those things that at least for most people who are maybe listening to this podcast, it never really crosses your mind that that could ever happen. Did you ever think that that would ever happen in your lifetime, that you would be homeless? No, 
I had been behind on the rent, you know, like I think most people have. I had had that happen before, but I always managed to get the money at the last minute, get a job or something. So that had never happened to me before. So no, you don't expect that to happen. And in fact, I had spent the first week in hospital emergency room, waiting room. That's where I slept. I wanted to be around people. And I never was outside. I never spent any time outside. So that first week I did that. And then I I began to realize that this was not sustainable because I needed to shower and I needed to wash my hair. So I finally went into a shelter. And I remember the next day after having been able to sleep horizontal instead of vertical, I was walking down the street and I believe it was Independence Street in D.C., I was so angry that I was, had ended up there, ended up in this situation. I had been sitting up like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning trying to figure out how to market my business. And I'm walking down the street thinking about that. And that's, how could this happen to me? But I started realizing, I said, this happens for a reason. And I'm going to have to let go of this anger and get quiet enough to find out why. This is a period of three years of your life. What was an average day like for you as someone who found herself homeless? I always had something to work towards. I always knew what I was going to be doing the next day. I was always involved in personal development. Since my early 20s, I had learned very early on that it's very important to keep your mind together, you know, what you put in your mind is going to determine the kind of life you have, even in that shelter. I didn't do it every day, but I got up a lot of mornings. I meditated first, and then I would sometimes do inspirational reading. Uh, Well, not sometimes, all the time. It depends on sometimes I didn't have as much time, but I always tried to read something encouraging and that was going to uplift me. And I also did affirmation. I'm really big on that. And that helped me to stay positive. It kept me working on my inner self because I knew that it could be detrimental to me if I didn't do that. It was lonely. Sometimes it was really lonely. But what I ended up doing was going outside the shelter system finding people, like-minded people who were trying to start businesses like I was, that helped tremendously. I volunteered at an organization that, and I met some wonderful people that just made the biggest difference in my life. Ultimately, you know, what helped me was following my inner guidance, my intuition, which I've heard you speak about. That helped me to those three years, just following what my inner guidance was telling me, that tremendously helped me to find myself on the other side of that. And what do you think surprised you the most about your life when you no longer had a stable roof over your head during those years? That whole experience, it really helped me to become much more easygoing and, you know, not being upset when things don't go the way I planned. 
I don't like the fact that I had to go through it, but in some ways, I really appreciate the experience. I really do. What do you think are some of the misconceptions or the judgments you faced as someone who was homeless, whether those judgments were fair or not? I think the misconception that people have about homeless people is that they want to be, and unfortunately, some do. Not all homeless people fit in that category. I was lumped in with everyone else. The ones, like I said, there are some people who don't want to work and don't want to take care of themselves. And I was just lumped in, regardless to what initiatives or accomplishments I had achieved. You know, I got my doctorate while I was in the homeless shelter. Why do you think people want to be homeless? Well, some of the people that I met, some of them have had traumatic things happen to them. And when you have not healed from that, it's very draining to your energy. And when you have to have your own place, it requires you to take care of it. You know, there are things that you have to do. There are responsibilities that you have to carry out. That's hard. And I understand that. Some of them prefer this thing there in the shelter and have something provided for them so that they don't have to deal with the outside. Some went about trying to get financial support, be it disability or whatever. And I was asked if I wanted to do that. And I said, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want to go that route. I wanted to be an example of someone who could use her gifts, talents, and abilities and get myself out of these circumstances. That was what my whole goal had been. And part of my purpose, I kind of feel like that's part of my purpose. I feel like uh, the system, the way it's set up currently, it does make people dependent. And that's not what we need. People should be given the tools to heal. And they should be allowed to express their talents and be a blessing to the planet. That's what we're here for. And... As far as I was concerned, you know, I was trying to show that I want more than this life. Most of the times, it didn't matter. It just kind of reminded me of the prison system. It's just the homeless system to me was just an extension of the prison system. And there's that inhumanity. It was almost like you were a number or you have gotten yourself into this, you must have done something wrong or something like that without even somebody trying to find out what happened. You were just looked at it with this thing. Before we talk about how you ultimately got out of this world of being homeless, what was the toughest part of being homeless? The toughest part was not being heard. I had these gifts as a healer. I approached people about what I saw needed to be done in the system, how people needed healing, and it fell on deaf ears. I, you know, reached the conclusion that the system is set up this way. It's not by accident. Let's just put it that way. It sounds like the system, as you've described it, it's designed to keep you homeless, not to get you out 
How did you ultimately get out? I was approached by a fellow homeless person. She mentioned to me that there was a program and I didn't want to hear about it because all the programs I found out about, I would ask if I was eligible and I would be told no, no. And that's all I heard. No. If you didn't have a, a mental problem, drug problem, if you are, I had a problem, domestic violence, or was a veteran, there was no program for me. I couldn't believe that. That just blew my mind. And so anyway, this person approached me and she said, why don't you come with me? There's a place where we can go and you can get an assessment done. And and I told her no the first time. I told her no. And then she mentioned it to me again. And so this time I thought, well, perhaps I'd better. And I decided I agreed. And so we went and I had this assessment done. And I was told that I was eligible for the rapid rehousing program. And that's eventually that came through for me. So that's how I was able to get out. But it wasn't until me doing some soul searching and realizing that ultimately the person who was going to help me get out of the place, I wasn't going to be getting help from anyone else. When we spoke before, you had talked about what you just alluded to, which was that you had a lot of changing and healing and growing to do on the inside before you could ultimately move on and open up the next chapter in your life. What did you mean by that? I told you earlier that I had my own personal, and when I was five years old, I experienced trauma. And I believe that's what led me to become a healer myself now. I spent years trying to heal myself from that. All of the things, all of the tools that I use is what I help people with now. The analogy I like using is that TV show Hoarders on A&E. They show these people who accumulate so much stuff, you can't even see what the room looks like. And, you know, once all of this stuff is cleared out, you can see the room clearly. That's how I view us. We have a whole bunch of things that we have accumulated, a bunch of emotional clutter. And the tools that I use help clear all of that stuff out until finally you emerge as your authentic, real self. I had to go through all of that clearing before I actually got down to who I truly am in my core. Well, I want to wrap up, Helen, by talking a little bit about what you're doing right now. And I know that you do a lot of work in this area of helping people understand what makes their soul sing and what ultimately makes them happy. And I'm specifically interested in your special report about how to find work that makes your soul sing. Can you tell us a little bit about that? The special report tells my story, but then I start going into the different areas that will help people. The healing work, the energy healing that I just talked about will help do that. I really would recommend that people download it. It will give you some tips and some insights. I want people to understand that. They are here to be a blessing on the planet. And I thank you so much for, for having me on here to share this. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing your story here, Helen. Where can people go if they want to download your How to Find Work That Makes Your Soul Sing report? They can go to holisticlivelihood.com. Thank you, Helen, so much for telling us more about your life. First of all, as a secretary, how you bravely navigated the challenges of being homeless and also just reminding us all how important it is to clear out your own baggage before you can take that next big step in your life. I really love your story. It's very humbling and just want to wish you the best of luck with Holistic Livelihood and the work that you're doing for people. Well, thank you so much, Joseph, for inviting me and I wish you all the best and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. It's a blessing to the planet. So I hope you enjoyed hearing Helen's thoughts on staying positive when things don't go your way, listening to your intuition, and clearing the way for a new path forward. Now it's time to wrap up with today's Mental Fuel, where I'm going to talk about deciding what standards you want to set for your career. Before we get to today's Mental Fuel, I just wanted to thank A2 Hosting for supporting this episode of Career Relaunch. A2 is the web host provider I use and trust for my own websites. They even offer 100% carbon-neutral green hosting. For an easy, fast, and affordable way to get your personal website online today, visit careerrelaunch.net slash A2 to get 50% off your web hosting plan. This is the part of the show called Mental Fuel, where I finish the show with a brief personal story related to one of the topics we covered today and wrap up with a simple challenge to help you move forward with your own career goals. So for today's Mental Fuel... I wanted to revisit one of the ideas Helen mentioned about making a declaration for what you want in your career. She mentioned her moment at the copying machine where she said to herself she was created to do more. And once she made that declaration, it created her intention to find out what she wanted to do instead. But she needed to first declare to herself that she deserved more before she actually went off to find more. And that got me thinking about this concept of intention about how sometimes you really have to sit down and think about what you want for yourself before you can take the steps to make that a reality. And what I've found is that unless I really dedicate some time to thinking about this, my tendency is just to carry on as is because I just haven't had the headspace or impetus to figure out what I really want. It's usually not until things get to a point where they're completely intolerable that I finally get around to reassessing what would make me happier. I'll give you an example from my own career. I was once promoted into a role that I originally thought would be all about branding and marketing, which I really enjoyed. But I very quickly realized the role was much more about dealing with organizational politics and trying to make a couple internal stakeholders happy. And I actually understood that stakeholder management's a big part of any corporate job, but I personally just felt like my balance between managing politics versus doing actual marketing became totally off. And I guess for me, the tipping point was when I spent a whole week seeing my team's decisions related to an ad campaign continually being trumped by one senior leader's opinion of how things had to work, even though most of us felt like marketing had moved on from the traditional approaches he was insisting on. So... Part of the problem here is the actual issue. In this case, the issue of having my opinions overridden by somebody and the issue of having the focus of my role no longer be about marketing. But the other issue was also about my own beliefs. My belief that this was just how things were going to be in my career. My belief that this was what I signed up for. My belief that I was going to have to just settle for this way of working from here on out. It wasn't until I reached this tipping point of frustration 
that I finally declared to myself that I wanted more than this, that I really wanted to have autonomy and freedom to not only do work that I found more meaningful, but to work in a way I found more meaningful, that I expected certain standards in my career that were currently not being met. And getting clear on those standards created my own intention to find an alternative to my traditional career in marketing. And that intention set the wheels in motion to me eventually launching my own career consultancy, online courses, and this very podcast you're listening to right now. So I feel like there's two parts to this formula of creating new intention in your life. First, reaching some sort of a tipping point. A tipping point that forces you to reevaluate what you want. Something we talked about today and something we talked about with Kai Ng in episode 29. And when it comes to your career, what I hear about the most from my clients and audiences is that you reach this point where you just get fed up and can't take it anymore. In Helen's case, being stuck doing mundane work at the copying machine. In my case, dealing with exhausting internal politics. The second part of this formula is making a declaration of the standards you're going to live by in your career. For Helen, it was about being of service to others. For me, it was not only doing gratifying work, but working in a way I found more gratifying. So the question to ask yourself is, what are the standards I expect for my own career? Because improving your situation starts with first getting clear on the fact that you actually want something more for yourself, that you expect to have certain standards met, that you expect to feel a certain way when you're doing your work, that you expect certain things from the people you surround yourself with, and most importantly, that you respect yourself enough to insist on those standards. Getting clear on the standards you expect to have is the first step toward living by those standards. This takes me to a quote from Joel Brown. We only get what we believe that we deserve. Raise the bar, raise your standards, and you will receive a better outcome. So my challenge to you is to decide on the standards you want for your career. What are the expectations you have from yourself and from your work? Define those standards. Declare those standards. Then ask yourself what change you need to make in order to actually live by those standards. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to thank Carolyn in the U.S. for leaving such a positive review for Career Relaunch on Apple Podcasts. She wrote, Career Relaunch is such an inspiration. Listening to the stories gives me the motivation to keep on trying to live my dream. Well, Carolyn, thank you so much for being a subscriber. And I really do hope these stories, including Helen's today, can help you keep working toward that dream. If you would also like to share some feedback on the show, or if you have a suggestion of a topic you want covered, I'd love to hear from you. So you can leave me a voicemail or an Apple podcast review with your thoughts at careerrelaunch.net slash 34, where you can also find a summary of all the key concepts from today's show. Again, that's careerrelaunch.net slash 34. Also, I'm always looking for people with inspiring career change stories to feature on this show. So if you know someone who has made a unique career pivot, or if you would like to share your own career story on the show, you can apply to be a guest at careerrelaunch.net slash apply. Thanks so much for being part of the Career Relaunch community. And a special thanks again to Helen Wicks for sharing her brave story with us today. This episode was mixed by Richard Pennington. Electrocardiogram wrote and performed our original theme song. I'm Joseph Liu, and I'll see you next time.